BJ. Why don't we all, um, why don't you stand to your feet for a minute? You've been sitting for a while. Why don't you just stand to your feet feet for a minute? Come, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just put a hand on the shoulder of someone near you? God, we just pray your blessing. Tim, find a friend. You must be a friend near there. God, we pray your blessing on each of us. Pray for them. Don't be be, uh, shy. Let's pray. God, we pray that your blessing will be on each person here. We pray for your words to ring in our hearts and set us free and set us on fire. We pray, come, Spirit of God. Let your life flow through us in Jesus' name. Thank you for this community. Thank you for all that you're doing in this vision season. Set our hearts ablaze, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, you know, um, I love uh, listening to kids and hearing kids pray. I, um, my own kids and other people's kids, and I, I saw an article on Uh, some kids' leaders and parents who'd recorded some of their kids' best prayers. I thought I'd I'd share it with you for your inspiration. Um, Dear Lord, thank you that we can come to church today, and thank you that no one got their head crushed or lost their arm on the way here. (laughs) I'm not sure what happened in that church the week before, but that sounds like a rough week to me. That's, That's not a good week right there. Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. Anyone else ever felt like praying that prayer? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that, or was it an accident? Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they each had their own rooms. It works, (laughs) it's worked out okay with me and my brother. (laughs) And lastly, dear God, please take care of daddy, mummy, sister, brother, my doggy and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're gonna be in a big mess. Which I thought, was, <laughs> I thought was quite a profound prayer in lots of ways. We would be in a real mess without you, God. Um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that nearly everyone prays. There was a survey uh, in 2013 in the UK. Uh, a number of thousands of people surveyed, and the results were quite stunning across a whole demographic of people from all walks and ages and stages and backgrounds of life. Six out of seven people still believe that prayers can be answered. Six out of seven people believe that prayers can be answered. And fascinating, the other fascinating thing about the survey was that teenagers and people in their early 20s emerged as less likely to reject prayer than their parents' generation. There is a hunger for prayer. People pray, no matter what they say on the outside, in the quietness of their own hearts, people pray. And yet so few people understand how to pray. You know, you can tell a lot about yourself by your prayers. Have you ever, have you ever listened to your own prayers? I don't encourage you to recru- record your own prayers. But if you ever listen with one ear to your own prayers and to how you pray, you can tell a lot about your own heart, about your own relationship with the Lord, about your own journey in life by how you pray. Do you ever pray like a dog, begging, God, please, God, please, God, please? Do you ever pray like that? Do you ever pray like a consumer, demanding, God, I know my rights? <laughs> I know my rights, God. Do you ever pray like a terrorist, blackmailing God? If you don't come through this time, that's it, we're we're done. (laughs) Do you ever pray like a a used car salesman, negotiating? God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, and then that will happen. Do you ever negotiate with God in your prayers? Or do you pray like a child of God? 
got to listen to your own prayers. And so what we're going to do this morning as we carry on our series is we're going to look at how to pray with power. Now, two subjects that are guaranteed to make Christians feel guilty. One is talking about prayer and the other is talking about mobile phone usage. So turn to your neighbor and say, thank God he's not talking about mobile phone usage this morning. <laughs> at least it's half the guilt. Some of you are like, I'm good. I'm good on that one. Okay. <laughs> It's timely though, because I believe that God is causing not like a, a, a prayer revival across the world. Wherever I go and speak to churches and groups of people and I ask them, what's God saying to you? Again and again, you hear the same thing. God is calling us to pray. So how do we pray with power? I'm hoping that as we look at Paul's words, like they won't inspire guilt, but they are inspire faith in our hearts. Uh, God has called us to be a praying people, and this is how we can pray with power. Let's read his words. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest leaders in the church, writing to one of the most influential churches in the early church. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family or the whole family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a, what a prayer. And a few things that, that stand out from that prayer for us, I think, are going to be important. One is this, the foundation of his prayer. Notice that he starts with this, for this reason. Why is he praying? For this reason, he says. But he didn't say what the reason was. The reason is because he's covered that in the last few chapters. And as Phil did so brilliantly last week, let me remind us, what was the reason that Paul was praying? Paul spent the last chapter looking at what? God's purpose on the earth. He talked about the call to all men to come to God himself. The call that God was reconciling Jews and Gentiles to God through the cross. The call that God was ending hostility on the planet. Anyone looking forward to that day? Amen. Not enough, obviously. The call that he was creating a new family with peace. The call that he was building out of mankind a new temple, not made with stone, but with the hearts of people. And the call that God would dwell in his hearts by his spirit. <laughs> That's the purposes of God on the earth. And Paul says, that's the thing that drives me to prayer right there. That's why I'm praying, because I've got a big picture of God's purpose on the planet, that he's reconciling and restoring and ending hostility and bringing peace and uniting our hearts together so that we could be a temple. Mankind could be a temple for God himself to dwell with us. That should make us happy right there. For this reason, the foundation of Paul's prayer is God's purpose on the earth. That's why when we read the Bible, it so often should fuel us to pray, to pray that God's will that we read in these pages is done in our planet. And so here's the, here's the, here's the first challenge. What takes the focus of our prayer time? Is it God's eternal purposes or is it our need for a parking space? Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for a parking space. I, I, I think that's a good prayer to pray. You know, there is a need for blessed car parks in Bedfordshire and beyond. There's nothing wrong with praying for a parking space. But if that's the predominance of our prayers, 
if that's the, if that's the weight of our prayers, is just the, the small needs of this life, then I think we're missing the power that God has put within us, which is to pray according to his purpose, to pray his purpose in onto the planet. And, and, but so often we can think, oh, yeah, but surely it's just little old me and my prayers in my bedroom or in the park walking along or out in the garden praying. What difference can it make? This is what it says in Revelation chapter 8. I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it onto the earth. There were peals of thunder, there were rumblings, there were flashes, there were lightning, and there was an earthquake. Here's the picture. The angel was given this incense, and it is mixed with the prayers of the saints, the prayers that stretch across millennia, generations of believers who are crying out, God, you've got to bring your kingdom onto this earth. God, you've got to meet us. God, we're broken, we're needy. God, you've got to come. And as we cried out, and we think, is it going anywhere? God says, every prayer is precious. Every prayer is being saved. Every prayer is being reserved. One day there will be a fulfillment of God's purposes on the planet and every prayer will count. And the enemy says, your little prayer is just worthless because he doesn't want you to play your part. He doesn't want you to play your part in filling up that sensor with the prayers of a people crying out for God to move on this planet. But God says, every, pe- every prayer makes a difference. See, the whole book of Revelation is about God's sovereign plan, how he is going to win, how he is going to do what he has said he will do. But there's this little window that shows us that we have a part to play. (laughs) Because the thing that goes on ahead is, is well, if God's going to do it anyway, what's the point of praying? But the reality is this, God reveals his will for us so that we can partner with him to bring it about. It's this divine mystery that he's given us authority over this planet And he wants to work through us to bring about his purposes. He is looking not for a people who are indifferent to God, but a people who are calling, God, you've got to come. We have tried it our own way, and we need you. That's what he's looking for. It's like the the words my kids often use when they're not getting their way for sweets before dinner. And mum's already said yes. And they turn to me and say, Dad, you said, with tears in their eyes. <laughs> They're like, there's no need for the tears, but that just kind of adds to the effect. <laughs> Dad, you said. <laughs> and I've got Caroline's steely gaze in the back of my head. That's <laughs> to my response. Did you say? <laughs> well, maybe I did. I hadn't thought about it. I didn't think about it at the time. Dad, you said is a powerful phrase in any family. Why? Because if an infallible father wants his words to count, how much more does God want his word to count? The God who cannot lie. So when we take his scripture, when we take his words and we say, Dad, you said, God, you said that you would bring transformation and your kingdom would come, that you said is powerful. And the Bible says it's powerful and effective. The Paul's foundation for his prayers are the purposes of God. And then he says, I bow the knee before the Father. Bowing the knee is uh, actually most Jews stood to pray, so it's surprising that Paul bowed the knee, but he doesn't bow the knee to a tyrant. He says, I bow the knee to a Father, reminding himself that God is willing. 
This is not a reluctant God that he's coming to. He is a father, and he says, according to his riches in glory. The success of his prayers were not based on his ability to pray, but according to God's riches in glory. Can I have a hallelujah or just waver, hanky, or something (laughs) to celebrate the fact (laughs) that your prayers... And the power of your prayers are not based on your ability to pray or your fumbling words or getting the right thing in order. It is based on his riches in glory. That is good news right now. Do you remind yourselves of these things when you pray? What does it look like? I remember um, some years ago as I uh, was just studying again and meditating on the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler and the story goes, this young guy comes to Jesus, very wealthy, and, Jesus, and he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, well, have you obeyed the commandments? Not saying that that is the way to inter- inherit eternal life, but just interested in the guy's response, I think. And the guy says, I've obeyed them all. From a child, I've obeyed them all. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack to be perfect. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And it says in the story that the guy went away disheartened because of Jesus's what seemed to him excessive request of him. He hadn't asked anyone else to do that, but he asked it of him. And I'd always read that story as Jesus basically saying to the guy, look, sell everything, and you're going to have treasure when you die. You'll have treasure in heaven when you die. It's going to be all right. You know, think about the long term. Think about the big picture. You'll be okay in the end type thing. That it, you'll get rewarded in the end. And then I began to realize as I read that again, Jesus never uses the concept of heaven as the place you go when you die. He uses heaven, whenever he talks about heaven, it's the reality of God now. It's the place where God dwells now. So what's he saying to the rich young ruler? He's saying, look, sell your earthly treasure now, and I'm going to give you access to heaven's treasure now. He wasn't making the guy poorer. He was making him richer. He was saying, you think you're rich? You ain't got nothing compared to my dad. (laughs) You think you're rich? Your riches are just in the way. You've been faithful with a little. I want to give you access to a whole lot more. Jesus had access to any resources he needed. He got got his tax money out of the the mouth of a fish. I mean, who else can pull that off? He has access to heaven's resources And he wanted to say to the rich young ruler, you've been faithful with a little bit, but let me show you something bigger than you could dream or imagine. That's how Paul is praying right right here. He's saying, as I pray, I'm praying according to his riches. Notice as he starts his prayer, he begins with both the fact that God is willing, he's a father, and he's able. He has got incredible riches, abundant riches. That's the foundation for his prayers. And just practically, how do we do that then? Well, I just think, let's learn as we begin to pray in any situation, whether it's walking along, praying for a friend, praying for ourselves, praying at home, let's learn to start in that place, reminding ourselves of the abundance of God, of the fatherhood of God, of the fact that he has got a big plan that we fit into. One of the things I do practically is when I'm praying for someone who's sick, I actually start by not focusing on them, but there was a... a, a, um, a kind of meadow that I walked into one time, and it was one of these, there was hardly any hills around. There was a few trees, but it was like this kind of canopy of blue sky. And as I walked into that, that meadow, as I saw this blue sky, it just, hit, it just reminded me of the supremacy of God. <laughs> 
that we are so small and insignificant, and yet this father has made himself available, that he is beyond reach. It was just this moment, and I always remembered that moment. So when I pray for the sick, I start in that moment. I picture myself in that meadow. Something else may work for you, but for me, this is what helps me. I picture myself there, and I remember, God, you are big. (laughs) And I picture his power flowing through little old me, through my hands, into their body. Why? Because I want to start not with a problem. Their problem is important, and it's right in our faces as we pray together. But what's more important is that I come not focused on the problem, but focused on the bigness of God. And we start in that place. Paul starts with a right foundation. Then he goes on to pray for three things for the church. He says this, You may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays first that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. You know, I was um, sitting just a week or so ago uh, chatting with a guy, not, not, a, not a believer, before we had a game in badminton, and he was talking, and he, then he asked me what I did for a living, which is always, it kind of goes a little bit awkward when you do that, when people do that with me, and it's hard to explain. And so I, I, I said, and he was, you could tell the cogs were turning and trying to box that into something that he understood. And so after a while, we kind of moved on, and he said, well, I think what a Christian is is someone who's kind to people. And he kind of went on this thing of Christians, that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, I didn't disagree. I mean, we went on, I didn't actually get a chance to answer properly because I didn't disagree. I mean, Christians, I mean, if I hope you've got the memo, we should be kind to people. (laughs) If you haven't, just, you know, turn to your neighbor and say, you really ought to be kind to people. Just as a kind of a Christian kind of 101, that is a good start. (laughs) But is that what it means to be a Christian? Is that what it means to be a Christian, is to be kind to people? Because to be honest, there are plenty of other people who aren't Christians who are kind to people. Is that what it means? Is that what it is? Paul's saying right here, this is what it means to be a Christian, that Christ may fill your hearts. This is not about us being nice people alone. It's about why we're nice people. Why are we nice people? Why are we kind people? It's because the Spirit of Christ has filled our hearts When we are kind, it's not because of some innate kindness. It's not kind of some self-improvement program. It's because Christ is shining out of us. That he's taken our broken, fallen, selfish natures and he's transforming us with his light within. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's the point. I am going to let it shine. What is this little light? My innate light? No, no, no. It's Christ, the light, the hope of glory in me. Shining. My job is just to get out of the way of that light. Expose myself to that light until every fiber of my being shines with that light. If you're not a believer here this morning, if you're looking in, then that's what it means to be a Christian. Yes, I hope that you're nicer after you meet Christ. I hope that you're kinder after you meet him, but I hope more than anything, as Paul prays, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. And, and he comes to dwell through intimacy, As John says, we will be with him. Jesus spoke to his disciples, talking about his presence by the Spirit in our lives. And he comes through transformation. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus' kindness, his patience, his faithfulness, his power wants to live within us. And Paul prays for the church. And here's the question. Why does he pray for the church? I mean, surely these are Christians he's praying for, so they've already got Christ within them. So why then is he praying for them that they would have Christ within them? I think the key is in this word dwell. He says that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And the reality is this. 
the word in Paul's language in which he was writing in Greek, there are two words for dwell. One means to dwell like a lodger, like a temporary visitor. And one means to dwell like someone who owns the place, like someone who has settled down, like someone who has taken possession. Guess which word he uses here? It's not the first one. <laughs> so often we want Christ to dwell in our hearts in the guest room, <laughs> off the side, you know, maybe giving us a bit of advice as to when we should change gas supplier. But really, <laughs> let's leave the running of this joint to me, Lord. <laughs> I think I've done pretty good so far. No, no, no. Paul's saying, I'm not looking for the lodger type of Christ. I'm looking for the one who's just moved in. The one who feels like he owns the place because we've handed over the keys and said, Lord, I've made a mess of my life and I'll continue making a mess. Will you take ownership? Will you take residence in my heart? That's the kind of dwell that Paul is talking about here. Yes, every believer should have Christ dwelling, has Christ dwelling in their hearts. But Paul's saying, I'm looking by faith for you to know the fullness of what that means. Christ, the, fulling, the filling of your heart, the owning of every area, every corner, every dark cupboard opened up and his light shining into that place the question is have we given permission because it takes faith doesn't it basically to trust that Jesus won't mess your life up <laughs> anyone else ever wrestled with that no you haven't well I have I mean when I became a Christian that was my big wrestle Lord I'm nervous you're going to mess it up I'm nervous that, that, that I, I don't know that I can try. There's some things I don't get. There's some, I read some bits of the Bible. I don't understand these bits. It doesn't make sense to me. And I, I was, became a Christian through much fear. And okay, I trust you enough to take this first step. I trust you enough to take the next step. Come follow me, said Jesus. And so I was like, okay, I can follow for the next step. But I'm not sure where this is going. And it's only over time that I've been able to give more and more of my trust to him. But that's what Paul's talking about here. That's why he's saying it's faith. It's by faith that we see more of Christ dwelling in our hearts. And we can help one another. I was praying for a, a, a young girl just a few weeks ago in another church. I had a word of knowledge. Two words, actually. One was that um, there was someone there who had damage to their feet. And they were worried about loss of mobility. And there was another word for someone here who's got a... Uh, you've got some kind of uh, self-harm in your past... And you've damaged yourself physically and you're worried about the kind of on-term, long-term effects of what you've done to yourself. Anyway, this, this uh, lady yeah, came, comes forward, she's probably uh, mid-20s, I would think, late-20s. She comes forward and she says, um, those both words are for me. I, was, uh, I had an eating disorder when I was a, a child. I've broken the bones in my feet five times now because my bone density is so low. And I'm worried that I've kind of wrecked my body for good kind of thing. And so we'd just be able to pray for her and just minister to her. And one of the things I got her to do is I said, picture yourself in, as a child. Can you see Jesus in that scene, you know, in the midst of your eating disorder? Can you see him there? And she said, yeah, I can see him very clearly. He's got his arms folded and he looks disapproving. And I said to her, I don't think that's Jesus. Who is that? She said, it's my dad. And then just outpoured this whole toxic relationship with her dad of disapproval and just brokenness. And as she just was able to forgive her father for his part in, obviously there were her choices as well. She forgave herself. She forgave her father. She just was overcome with joy as the real Christ appeared in her heart. 
not the disapproving, arms-folded Christ, but the one who loved her and gave himself up for her. You see, we can help one another, as Paul prays for this church, that by faith we will see the real Jesus manifested on the inside and coming alive in each one of us. And then he prays that you might know the love of Christ, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, what's the length, what's the height, what's the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays that they might, love, they might know the love of Christ. And the trouble is, I remember we had a call many years ago from a guy who wanted to do a conference on the love of God. And we'd been cr- crying out, God, send us someone who can help us get out on the streets. We don't want to be stuck in a church. We want to get out and touch those who don't know Jesus. Send us anyone. This guy phones. I picked up the phone and he says, I can come and do a conference on the love of God. I put down the phone. I was like, God, that's not what we need. We, we know you love us. We've heard that since Sunday school. We've been there. We've got the T-shirt, you know. That's not what we need. And God spoke to me as clearly as he's ever spoke to me. He said, you said send anyone who could help you. I was like, all right, we'll have him. <laughs> that weekend turned our church upside down. It began what has become our annual Father's Heart conferences that, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, seminar streams that we've done right the way through because what happened was we realized we knew about the love of God. But as Paul prayed, I pray that you would know it. <laughs> that you would know in an experiential way. He prays, I pray that you would be, I mean, he taught these guys for three years he'd been in their city. Three years he taught them. Do you think he hadn't mentioned the love of God? Do you think he was saying, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, oh, God loves you. No, no, no. He was saying, I want you to be so rooted, so grounded in God's love that it transforms you from the inside out. I mean, how does a vine produce a grape? How does it produce it like, yeah, oh, out comes one. You know, do you, when you watch a vineyard, are you like, do you hear groaning? Out comes another grape. Is that what you see? No, no, no. How do vineyards produce grapes? What do they do? They, they do, do vines work? They do work. How do they work? They work by shoving their roots deep into the ground. They shove their roots deep into the ground, and then they can. I mean, if some of the places where vineyards grow are just so dry. You think, where are they getting any water from? They shove their roots deep into the ground, and then they draw the water and the nutrients up in, and then... Out come the grapes. That's the picture that Paul's giving us here. We've got to be a people who are so rooted in the love of Christ that the fruit just pops out. It just produces itself because, well, it just does. How does it? Well, because we have spent the time to bask, to meditate, to saturate ourselves in a hate-filled world, a hate-filled world, we have dug deep into the love of Christ, such that when we confront hate, we are so filled with love that out comes love. Isn't that what Jesus said? Love your enemies. Who can love their enemies? No one can do that naturally. The only way you can do that is because your roots have dug so deep that when hate comes at you, instead of hate coming back out of you, out comes love. It's a provoking challenge for all of us. And Paul's saying, this is, what, this is why I pray that you'll be rooted in the love of God, that you would know this love. And this is what he says, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice the fullness of God is directly linked to, being encountering, to, to an encounter with the love of God. 
He's saying the more you get this, the more the fullness of God you're going to know. And he's saying that, this is what John Stott writes about that passage, God wants you to be filled up with the limit of the fullness of God, which human beings are capable of receiving without ceasing to be human. (laughs) Wow. God wants us to take us to the limit of what it means to be human. He wants to so fill us with himself that we, we approach the limit of what it means to be human because we have got the revelation of God within us. I remember one um, guy came to one of our Father Heart conferences and some years ago, and when he encountered the love of God, I mean, he like hit the deck, he like crashed, there was sobbing, there was wailing, I think he might have even broken a chair. About three years later, he came back, he said, do you remember me? I was like, do you remember me? I, I, was like, I couldn't forget you, you broke one of our chairs, I think. It's like, it was so loud. He said, but did you know my story? I said, I didn't ever know your story. He said, what happened was my father beat me so badly when I was a kid, he was in prison for it. So many times he beat me, he was in prison for it. And I've never called God father, ever, until that weekend. And I don't know what happened, but God just wrecked me. And I began to realize that God was my father and that God has loved me from before the world was began. And he said, it's just transformed me. And now my dad has been released from prison and I've been in contact with him. I've been sharing with him about the love of God. And we're starting to see our relationship transformed. There's something about this love that God wants to permeate onto the planet. And Paul prays for his church, that they would know the love of Christ. Do you, do you pray for your family members? Do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for those in your workplace, that they would know this love? I think it's a powerful prayer to pray. And then he finishes with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. He finishes with this focus. He reminds himself at the end of the power of God that works within us. He starts with the the bigness, the resources, the fathering of God, and he finishes with the power of God. We finish our prayer times in that place. I'm not sure I have been. I I, want to do that more. I want to finish in this place, knowing that God's power is at work within us. And and Paul uses this word, the superabundant power of God. And it's a it's a made up word. It's a word that he strings multiple words together, and we we do it in um, in English. That they're called super superlatives, words that just take us beyond language. Like uh, you know, awesome is a word like that, although it kind of gets a little bit overused. And uh, when I was a kid, it was wicked. You know, everything was like wicked. And like my parents were like, is that good or is that a bad thing? I know it kind of dates me, but wicked. And a few years ago, my kids were like, Dad, that is so sick. I was like, sick. They're like, sick. I was like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. So it's vomit if it's a good thing. Okay, I'm not sure. Not. I mean, they don't use that anymore. But, you know, we, we use these words, don't we? They're super superlatives. When we kind of, when, we, when good and great aren't good enough, we've got to have awesome and wicked and sick or something that takes us beyond. Well, super abundant is, a, is Paul's equivalent of that. It's a word that says, I can't describe to you the power of God that's working at you. It is so awesome. It is so powerful. I can't get my words around it. That power, that, that I can't quite describe, that is at work in your heart. That is at work in your life. That is working in your friends and your family and the people around you. That's the power that's available to you. 
And I don't know about you, but I'd struggle to think like that. <laughs> it doesn't come easy to me. I remember a couple of years ago, when we were, God was doing this whole journey with us of renewing our minds and thinking differently. I, um, I had this uh, dream. I was in, in the shower. I try not to picture that. And uh, I had a shower head. And the shower head was, and there was nothing coming out. So I took the head off the shower, and, uh, and it was full of hair. It was my daughter's hair, Kaya's hair, in the head of the shower, which is bizarre because shower hair goes down the plug hole, as we know. And, uh, and so I flushed it out, put the head back on, and the power was back on. And I woke up, I knew immediately it was, about, it was about thinking. That would be the head of the shower. God saying something about my thinking. And we were kind of thinking about this ver- these verses. And, uh, but I was saying to Caroline, it doesn't make any sense. Why was it Kaya's hair? Why was it her hair in the, in the shower head? And she said, well, don't you remember Kaya's name means abundant? And I was like, <laughs> God is saying, I need to think through the lens of his abundance. I've not been thinking through the lens of his abundance. I've not been bringing my thoughts captive to the lens of his abundance. I've been thinking through my own thoughts, my own ways of thinking, my own resources. Rather than thinking at every issue, every problem, I've got to learn to think through the abundance of of God. And that's exactly what Paul was saying to the church here. As you pray this and receive this, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, as you pray and know the love of Christ filling you, then you will see the power of Christ at work in you far more abundantly than anything you could dream or ask, that we will all at the end of the day look back at the work of God and say, whoa, (laughs) that is sick. (laughs) Or whatever words from your generation. Our, our internal reality becomes our external reality as we pray these things. As a, let me just finish with this story from Agnes Sanford, who was an American missionary during the early 20th century. She tells a, friend of her, a story of her friend, Miss Nellie, that lives in deep southern United States, a little old lady who, being filled with the Spirit, goes forth to seek and save those who are most truly lost. She's known in prison. She's known in poor houses. She's known in joint dives. She's known in joints. She heard one day of a murderer, multiple unconfessed murderer, who was condemned to die. She went to see him. She knew that she couldn't save his life, but she could bring him out of that death of the soul, which he had already suffered. You can't go in there, Miss Nellie, said the guard who knew her well. He's dangerous. We never go into his cell alone. It takes two or three of us to manage him. He won't bother me, said Miss Nellie serenely. But alone, said the guard. I'm not alone, said Miss Nellie. The guard, knowing what she meant, stepped aside and let her in. The huge man leaped from his bed, cursing and swearing and shouting. Miss Nellie merely stood still and prayed for him, seeing with the eyes of Christ the real man behind the savage, the real man, simple, childlike, capable of love and holiness. Because she could see the real man and because she poured out upon him the power of the Holy Spirit, or in other words, the love of God in action, he ceased raving after a little while, at least long enough to draw a breath. I understand, said Miss Nellie. You don't understand, roared the captive. Nobody ever does. Nobody ever understood me. My mother didn't. My father didn't. Jesus understands you, said Miss Nellie. Whereupon the tormented man began once more to shout curses, shaking his huge clenched hands at the ceiling. Don't give me none of that Jesus stuff, he yelled. Not in the least bit intimidated, Miss Nellie simply stood there and prayed for him. And after a while, there was a brief silence. And then he cried out to her, what is that? What is that that I feel? What is coming all over me? 
That's the Holy Spirit, said Miss Nellie serenely. But I'm, I'm happy. I've never felt like this in my whole life. Oh, that's the joy of the Lord, says Miss Nellie. For an hour or more, she sat on the crude bed beside the man and told him very simply of the story of the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that fills us. And while tears ran down his cheeks and shouts of joy rang from time to time out into the corridors to the amazement of the guards and the other prisoners. The next week, she went to see him again. Before she could reach the jail, she caught sight of him looking out from behind the bars, his hands, his hands high in the air in praise. He hasn't left me. He ain't left me yet, he shouted to her. He ain't left me yet. Before this man went to the electric chair, he converted every prisoner on his corridor. The last man he converted was his executioner. For he walked to the electric chair in the glory of God as a man about to enter heaven, which indeed he was. The executioner quit his job shortly afterwards. <laughs> what does it look like for a people to be rooted in the love of Christ? To have Christ filling their hearts? To know the power, the superabundant power of God working through them? That's what it looks like. That's what Paul prayed for his churches. There is nothing wrong with praying for a parking space. But I think God's speaking to us today and saying, let's lift our heads and fix our eyes on his purposes on the planet and how he wants to partner with us so that his bowl of our prayers is filled and poured out to bring his kingdom to bear. Let's pray. Let's be a church that joins in and praise as Paul has taught us in these passages to pray. Amen.